from Isaiah 37, and that's on page 721 of the Church Bibles. Entitled, Jerusalem's Deliverance Foretold. When King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord. He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and the leading priests, all wearing sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. They told him, this is what Hezekiah says, this day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace, as when children come to the moment of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the field commander, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God, and that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, pray for the remnant that still survives. When King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard, those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, when he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down with the sword. When the field commander heard that the king of Assyria had left Lachish, he withdrew and found the king fighting against Libna. Now Sennacherib received a report that Terhaka, the king of Cush, was marching out to fight against him. When he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah with this word. Say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Surely you've heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely. And will you be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them, the gods of Gozan, Haran, Resef, and the people of Eden who were in Tel Asar? Where is the king of Hamath or the king of Arpad? Where are the kings of Lair, Sepharvim, Hena, and Iva? Hezekiah received the letter from their messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste all these peoples and their lands, They've thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word the Lord has spoken against him. Virgin daughter Zion despises and mocks you. Daughter Jerusalem tosses her head as you flee. Who is it you have ridiculed and blasphemed 
Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers you have ridiculed the Lord, and you have said, with many chariots I've ascended the heights of mountains, the utmost heights of Lebanon. I've cut down its tallest cedars, the choicest of its junipers. I've reached its remotest heights, the finest of its forests. I've dug wells in foreign lands and drunk water there. With the soles of my feet I've dried up all the streams of Egypt. Have you not heard? Long ago I ordained it. In days of old I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass that you have turned fortified cities into piles of stone. Their people drained of power are dismayed and put to shame. They're like plants in the field, like tender green shoots, like grass sprouting on the roof, scorched before it grows up. But I know where you are and when you come and go and how you rage against me. Because you rage against me and because your insolence has reached my ears, I will put a hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will make you return by the way you came. This will be a sign for you, Hezekiah. This year, you will eat what grows by itself, and the second year, what springs from that. But in the third year, sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Once more, a remnant of the kingdom of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in, in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. One day, while he was worshipping in the temple of his god, Nisroch, his sons, Adramelech and Sharazar, killed him with the sword, and they escaped to the land of Ararat. And Esarhaddon, his son, succeeded him as king. Thanks be to God. Gareth, I'm one of the ministers here. And the other thing I need to do before I uh, get going into the sermon is just to let you know the translator app code if you're using that. Uh, that's Microsoft Translator. I just need to start uh, this going and then I can tell you what the code is. Okay, it's uh, XZCJL. 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 And I think it's working now. They can hear me. That's good. In this life, bad things happen. Coming up on the screen is a picture of something bad that happened in my house. Uh, for those of you who are listening on catch-up, uh, you've been spared a rather distressing sight, but I'm going to tell you about it. Uh, we're looking at the top of a cereal box which has been opened in a way that can only be described as against nature. <laughs> you know that bit of um, cardboard, the flap that enables you to reseal the, cardboard, uh, the cereal each time? 
In haste to open the box the first time, someone has callously yanked the flap from the middle rather than using the uh, globally approved method of sliding a finger underneath and then along. And the box has been so damaged that the sealing mechanism no longer works. When you push it in, it just pops out. And now every day in our house begins with a reminder of failure and shame. <laughs> in our house, you have to be 16 years or older to open cereal packets. <laughs> in life, bad things happen. <laughs> Is this bad? Is it bad? Well, yes and no. Yes, it's not how the box was engineered. Someone spent quite a long time trying to figure out how to make that, right? And it's been broken. It, it's bad. But at the same time, no, it's not bad. It's a cardboard box. As any self-respecting, emotionally healthy adult knows, it's not important and it doesn't matter. The picture can go down now, thank you. Uh, but what if it wasn't a cardboard box we were seeing a picture of? What if it was a picture of a human being who is broken. Would that be bad? A bone to be snapped, a muscle torn, or if we could see the mind scattered, distracted, hurting, would that be bad? Yes, it would be bad. That's not how we are made to be. And, unlike the cardboard box, humans are important. They matter. All right, so cardboard box. Human. Could anything be worse than something going wrong with those? The Bible's answer is yes. God could be dishonored. God could be dishonored. The worst thing that can happen in the whole universe is that God is dishonored. Can you see that? If you, could, you could draw a graph of it, can you? Cardboard box, not important at all. Human being, more important. God, the most important. And if he is dishonored, the Bible says, that is the worst thing that could happen. Now, we're going to see plenty of things in Isaiah 37, but to get the headline as we set out up on the screen, God alone is great. God alone is great, and that gives us two options. God alone is great, and so we have two options, beginning with P and D. We can have pride and defeat, or we can go for prayer and deliverance. We're going to see where that comes out of the passage, but that's the headline. God alone is great. Pride and defeat or prayer and deliverance? Okay, with that laid out, here's a quick overview of the plot in Isaiah 37. Let me just grab a clicker as well so that, thank you, I can um, go this. Uh, all right, so we, we have in the, um, these two chapters a cycle, a, a pattern of a, in terms of a structure. Um, the top right-hand one is the one where it starts. I will just remind you again, as if you're listening on catch-up, you can look at CCH News and get a link for these, um, this slide so you can see what we're looking at here. Uh, the first thing is we, uh, we have a, in the structure, we have Assyria against God. Uh, then I'll show you where this is in the verses in a second. Assyria against God. And then Hezekiah speaks to God. And then God speaks to Hezekiah. And then we have the reverse at the beginning, God against Assyria. So let me just uh, show you... Uh, as by way of overview, this is just to get a bit of structure in our heads. You don't have to remember all this, but just so we can see um, roughly what's going on. Last week in chapter 36, we had Assyria against God. That's the whole of chapter 36. Um, where, where the Rabshakeh stand, stood outside the gates of Jerusalem and says, God's not going to save you. Don't let the Hezekiah deceive you. God's not going to save you. Assyria against God. 
Uh, Then, in the start of our passage today, chapters 37, verses 1 to 4, we have Hezekiah speaking to God. He he sends people, his um, officials, to go to Isaiah, the prophet. Interesting here, we have Isaiah naming himself. Isaiah, son of Amos, there in verse 2. Then um, God speaks back to Hezekiah through uh, Isaiah. That's verses 5 to 7 of chapter 37. And then we have a very brief bit, God against Assyria, uh, verse 7. Do I mean verse 7? I think I mean verse 8. Yes, I do mean verse Verse 8, when the field commander heard that the king of Assyria had left Lachish, he withdrew. So the Rabshakeh retreats. God does what he says. He says, I'm going to send him away. And that's what happens. So we have this cycle once. Assyria against God. Hezekiah speaks to God. God to Hezekiah. God against Assyria. And then we have that whole cycle happen again. And this is where we're going to be focusing our time on in this second round. Uh, Verse 9, we have Assyria against God. Verse 9 to 13. So Sennacherib hears this report. And then he sends messengers to Hezekiah. Uh, and that's the first part, and he goes against God. That's Assyria against God, 9 to 13. Uh, then the second bit we'll look at is uh, Hezekiah praying, verse 14 to 20. Uh, then we'll look at uh, God speaking back to Hezekiah. That's a big section, verse 21 through to verse 35. Uh, and then finally, we'll have God against Assyria, which is just a few verses at the end, verse 36 to 38. Uh, there we are. I don't know if those colors are vaguely visible. They, sort of, they made sense uh, on my screen, um, but hopefully that you can see roughly how those things correspond to this cycle going on. Um, Assyria, God, Hezekiah, locked in battle and speech. Having said that, we're now going to go through each of those um, four sections a second time. First one then, Assyria against God. That's verses 9 to 13 of chapter 37. Okay. Just one reminder from last week. In chapter 36, verse 14, the Rabshakeh said this to the people. This is what the king says, that is Assyria. The king of Assyria says, do not let Hezekiah deceive you. The king of Assyria says, oh, don't let Hezekiah deceive you, people of Jerusalem. You should know better. You should give in. You should let us in. Open the gates. That was the Rabshakeh. But now in chapter 37, there's a change of tack. Sennacherib, the king himself, the king of Assyria, instead of going against Hezekiah, he kind of puts his arm around him. Chapter 37, verse 10. Say to Hezekiah, king of Judah. You're a king. We're both kings, right? Last, last week, it wasn't king. It was just Hezekiah. Now it's King Hezekiah. You and me, we're the same. Yeah, kings together. And what does he say to Hezekiah? Do not let the God you depend on deceive you. Last week it was people, don't let Hezekiah deceive you. Now it's Hezekiah. Hey, come on, mate. Don't let God trick you. We're on the same team here. Do you see that? Change of tack. Assyria is not against Jerusalem. They are not against the people of God, but their God. Assyria is against the Lord. And then he goes, um, spells out verse 11 to 13. He says... Look, all the other gods, they failed. They failed, haven't they? Where are the gods of Gozan and Haran and Rezeph, eh? They didn't work. Don't, don't make that same mistake. You're better than that. You're King Hezekiah. Give in to me and, and surrender. And so in this, Sennacherib goes on the attack against God himself. Sennacherib says, I, Sennacherib, am great. Come on, Hezekiah, you come with me. Your God is just like the other lowercase gods. Our translation, the NIV, puts it there in verse 12. Did the gods of the nations. Do you see that small g? They're not anything. 
And your G, he's also lowercase. Look, your God, he's also lowercase God. Just like them. I'm great. You listen to me. Assyria is against God. Then on to the second, um, uh, second section. Uh, Hezekiah then speaks to God. This is verses 14 to 20. What would you do if a superpower was saying, hey, come with us? What might you do? Well, do you notice what Hezekiah does? And what he doesn't do, he is not driven away from God. He doesn't say to Sennacherib, yeah, you're right, actually. You're right, you've got all those chariots. We haven't got anything. Our God's not going to help us. He doesn't go away from God. Uh, and neither does he go uh, to political action. He doesn't say, right, increase the budget. Um, how's our defense spending? He doesn't say, uh, who can we make alliances with? He goes to God. He goes to God to pray. What is the start of prayer? <clears throat> the start of prayer is saying, you are great. You are great to God. Lord, you are great. And we see that in Hezekiah's prayer. Do you see the first thing he prays? Not, I'm in trouble. Verse 16. Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. Do you see that? The first step of prayer, you are great. That's why I'm coming to you, because if you weren't great, I wouldn't be here. If I was great, I'd sort myself out. If uh, Sennacherib was great, I'd go to him. But you are great, and so I'm going to come to you and acknowledge who you are. Prayer is acknowledging God's greatness. You are great. I love what he does here, the detail. You see the verse 14, he receives the letter from this, these messengers. He reads it, and then he goes to the temple and spreads it out. He spreads out in the temple, Lord. You can almost imagine him on his knees bowing down with the, with the letter in front of him. Lord, hear this. Give ear, Lord, and hear this. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Just in passing, I wonder if there's a helpful model for us as we pray. Have you read something in the paper, whether maybe it's a piece of paper or on your phone, and it, oh, it's wrong. Why not lay it out before the Lord there and say, Lord, have, have you seen this? Have you seen what he's said? Have you heard what she's done? This isn't right, Lord. You are great, and so I'm coming to you. I'm not going to be able to fix it, but you can. Please, Lord. That's Hezekiah. He acknowledges God is great, and he asks God to hear and see. And notice the reason, the reason that he gives. Verse 20. Lord, deliver us from his hand so that, what would you have said? So that the children in this vulnerable city aren't taken advantage of. That would pull on the heartstrings, the kids, or those who are older and vulnerable and are going to feel the effects of the siege first. Please, Lord, for their sake, answer my prayer. Again, a good, thing, a good reason to pray. God cares about the fatherless and the widow, those who are weak and downtrodden. And yet, what does Hezekiah say? Deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. Do you see what Hezekiah says is the worst thing that could happen? That people don't know that God is God. That people think that God is not great. That is the worst thing. And so Hezekiah prays about that first. Now, he does say, deliver us. He's not saying, trample us down. He's saying, no, save us so that you get the glory. He acknowledges God's greatness. He says, yeah, Sennacherib's right. All the other gods have gone in the bin because they're wood and stone. 
just made by people. But you're different, Lord. You are great. And so he prays, deliver us because you are great, so that the world will know. <clears throat> we keep moving. God then speaks to Hezekiah, and this is um, the big, uh, biggest section. Uh, first thing to see, there's lots we could pick up on. We're going to zoom in on a few things. Uh, this word comes to Hezekiah to reassure him. I'm not sure that Sennacherib actually heard these words. Isaiah goes to Hezekiah and says, this is what the Lord has said about Sennacherib against him. Whether Sennacherib hears it is not, in some ways, relevant. It's a message to Hezekiah to encourage him. And therefore, by extension, it's a message to us to encourage us. <clears throat> uh, firstly, we see that pride is personal. Pride is personal. Verse 23, this is what God says against Sennacherib. Who is it that you've ridiculed and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. Pride. Sennacherib lifted himself up, exalted himself. And is that to God-like levels. Do you see that in chapter, uh, sorry, verse 24 and 25? I have ascended the heights of the mountains. I have cut down its taller cedars. I have removed its remotest heights. I have dug wells in foreign lands. I have dried up all the streams of Egypt. That is the language of a God. Sennacherib said, I'm great. Pride. And it's personal, it's against God. That is whom he has raised his voice against. Sennacherib might have just said, thought, I'm just claiming something for myself. I'm not talking about anyone else. But there is only one Lord. Pride is personal against God. And that is why daughter Zion can toss her head. You've gone against God. You're toast. I love verse 36 to Sennacherib. Have you not heard? Have you not heard? Oh, what has Sennacherib not realized? What has he not realized? Hmm. It is this, that God planned this. God planned Sennacherib's victories. Have you not heard? Says God, long ago I ordained it. In days of old, I planned it. And now I have brought it to pass. You didn't do it by yourself. You did it under my sovereignty. And I have made this happen. And yes, the people are drained of power as I planned by you. Because I am Lord. It's God's plan. And you see how that punctures Sennacherib's confidence. Because he was saying, I, I'm great because I've done all this stuff. And then God says, no, you've done all this stuff because I'm Lord. What should have made Sennacherib turn to God, he chose to make it turn him away. And then uh, another P within this section, God promises protection. God promises protection. He says, verse 33, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter the city or even shoot an arrow here. Not one arrow. He will not come against it uh, before it with a shield or build a siege ramp. I'm going to protect it. By the way he came, he's going to return. He will not enter the city. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and the sake of David, my servant. God promises to protect Jerusalem, his people. That doesn't show up very well. Okay, that's, um, we're going to come back to these things, but let's just push on to the final section. God against Assyria. This is verses 36 to 38. Uh, firstly, do we see uh, that uh, one of God's warriors beats 185,000 of Sennacherib's? Verse 36, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. And when people get up the next morning, 
dead bodies. That's a lot of dead bodies. Verse 37. Sennacherib goes home, as God said he would. Do you see the verbs there? Sennacherib broke camp and withdrew. He returned. He stayed. You ever seen a dog with a tail between its legs, slinking away? That is the great king of Assyria. He slinks home, sent home. One warrior against 185,000. And then verse 38, if it wasn't bad enough. We see the god Nisroch wasn't much help to the king of Assyria. He's worshipping in the temple. And what happens? His sons kill him with the sword. The king of Assyria, who thought he ruled the world, couldn't even control his own kids. Brought low. We see here the weakness of human strength. God against Assyria? It's not a very exciting contest. God wins because God is great. Okay, so that's, um, that's the cycle we've gone through. Let's just take a moment to recap. God alone is great. That's our headline, and, and we've seen it uh, through here. How do we see God's greatness in the story? Well, God was the one who planned everything. God was the one whose promises to protect his people were kept because God is the great king. And we have two options, pride and defeat or prayer and deliverance. How do we see pride and defeat in here? Well, Sennacherib said, Sennacherib is great. He was proud. And he got totally destroyed. He was defeated. Hezekiah shows us prayer and deliverance. Lord, you are great. Please save. Please deliver us because of your greatness. And God did. Sennacherib said, Sennacherib is great. Even Hezekiah didn't think Hezekiah was great. He went to God. He, was pray- he prayed and was delivered. <clears throat> now, we need to reflect more on God's greatness. Um, uh, sorry, I just realized that clock is totally wrong. It says quarter to eight, and I'm uh, slightly discombobulated by it. We need to reflect more on God's greatness. Uh, but just before we do that, just before we do that, uh, can I point out that there is no middle ground between a Sennacherib and Hezekiah? There is no middle ground between Sennacherib and Hezekiah. It can be easy to think, well, I'm not Sennacherib. I'm not against God. I'm not claiming to have dried up the streams of Egypt. I must be a good person. I don't boast like that. But the challenge for us is that, okay, maybe you're not Sennacherib, but maybe you're closer to that than you are to prayerful dependence. Maybe you're closer to honoring yourself than you are to honoring God. What is the heartbeat of your life? What do you want to see happen? What is the most important thing in your life? This passage shows us that to know God is to say, God is the most important thing in my life. In my life, in my death, anything that can happen to me is to give him honor. Do you see how there's no middle ground? Prideful defeat or prayerful deliverance. The basic question, are we living for God's glory or our own? Whose reputation do you care about? Maybe that's a way of thinking about what what cuts you up when someone thinks badly of you or when someone thinks badly of God? Which gets to you more? That's a searching question, isn't it? And actually, for all of us, we're going to feel our own reputation more naturally. It's our reputation. Whereas to see God's reputation requires faith. It is God's spirit working at us. It is a gift to see the universe for what it really is. It is not easy. This is not a guilt trip. It's more a call to think, can we see God's greatness 
slightly more? Can that shape our desires more and more and more? If, as I say those things, you realize, mm, I'm not in the second category. I don't look to God and seek his honor. I seek my own. I care about what happens to me most. If you realize that, today is a wonderful day to move to the second, to speak to God in your heart, even right now, to lay your life before him and say, Lord, this is yours for your honor. Please deliver me. If you do that, that will be the best decision you ever make. We must keep going. Let us think about God is great. God alone is great. Remember, we're starting off with a cardboard box. Not very important. Us, more important. God, most important. And therefore, the worst thing that can happen is God is dishonored. Maybe it brings to mind for us the Lord's Prayer. What is the first half of the Lord's Prayer asking God to do? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Yeah. That's what life's about. God's honor. And then underneath that, okay, I'd love some food today. God being dishonored is injustice. The world cares about justice in many ways. And so it should. The worst injustice is that God is dishonored. That is evil. And that is actually at the heart of everything wrong. It is not to say the other bad things don't matter. It is to say those bad things, they stem from living our own way, rejecting God. Whereas positively, God being honored is right. It is fitting. It is beautiful. And God's honor is at the heart of every good thing. When someone is kind to someone else, no one else is looking. It is God's will being done. God is honored and it is beautiful. It doesn't have to be significant in the world's eyes for it to really matter. God matters more than we do. In many ways, we're closer to the cardboard than we are to God. Because we're made of stuff. Stuff breaks. God is different. He is holy, 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 the Lord Almighty. Maybe uh, putting this most provocatively, these are so bring things to think about, aren't they? Uh, the worst thing about people going to judgment is not that they are going to judgment. The worst thing is that they lived lives that dishonored God. That is what the Bible says. God's honor matters most. God shows us that God uh, Isaiah shows us that God matters more than we do. That is not the same as saying people are unimportant or that we don't care about their future. Rather, we can aim to be a church that says, we care so much about people being saved. We long to reach Harpenden. And even more than that, we care that God would be honored. And we've been talking about three circles here at CCH. Loving Christ, loving church, loving Harpenden. And that order is very, very important. We start by loving God and seeking his honor first. God's honor is the primary motivation to love one another. Sometimes, I don't know about you, I find it easy to love people here because they're really nice and they're kind to me. But that cannot be my motivation to love people because what if I occasionally meet someone who is not so easy to love? What's my motivation to be? God's honor that I might love equally. And for us to reach the town, what is the desire that we might love people? Because there are some neighbors we like and some neighbors not so easy to live next to. How might we seek the best for both of them when we seek God's honor in their lives? Now, we might think, oh, that feels a bit like a robot, like instructions, God honors most, right, so we must do it. Maybe it feels a bit unseemly. You think, oh, this is like, I don't really like this God. 
I remember as a teenager uh, reading a forum that people were debating about God, and someone said something, and it, it struck me. I thought, oh, that's a good argument. It was this. Um, the guy writing said, um, I'm a dad. God's a father. I'm a dad. And I wouldn't want my children worshipping me. Why does God... It sounds a bit needy, doesn't he? And I thought, oh, it's a good point. The thing is, I had made a mistake, and so had the person posting. <clears throat> we are not great. We're not great. God is. I've come to realize that any line of reasoning where someone says, if I was God, I would, is almost certainly going to lead us into error. <laughs> if I was God. It's a short word, but we're not God in any way. Because if we spell it out, we start to realize this. <clears throat> if I was God, I would, is shorthand for saying, if I was the holy Lord of all, one one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who exists from eternity to eternity in a single indivisible moment, who created the entire universe by speaking and who constantly sustains it by his grace, who is the source of life itself, who is unchanging and transcendent, yet active and present, I would. I'd probably think quite differently. Wouldn't I? Wouldn't you? What is it to be God? That's above our pay grade. It's very challenging. It is very challenging. We were thinking in the um, questions, croissants and questions earlier, there are some bits of the Bible we find challenging. And it goes back to the basic thing about the Bible and about faith. Is God great or is you, are you? Is you. <laughs> is, is God great or is it me? And if God is great, then that changes everything. That's hard, that's challenging. I, I want to believe that my way is best. God is great. We are not, and that's okay, because then life makes sense. We know who we are. We're God's creation. Uh, what is the route to caring more about God's glory? If, if for those of us who are believers, you think, oh, yeah, I do want to care more about the Lord, but I find myself bogged down in my own things. How might I care more about God's glory? Well, I'd just ask, um, how do you care for anyone? How do you care about anyone's reputation or what they're going through? Well, you get to know them, don't you? You spend time with them. You see things from their perspective. You find out what sort of person they are and you get to know them personally. Because when you love someone, when you really know them, you fight for them, don't you? You stand up for them. Sometimes you do that from a position of power. You're stronger than them and you can step in. Sometimes you're not stronger than them, but you still want to stand up for them, don't you? That's wrong. I'm going to stand against it because I love this person. I care for them. I care about them. And so the more we get to know God and love him, the more we will be able to fight for his glory, the more these things will concern us. Now, someone might say, can we love someone just because they're great? Can we love God? He's great. Does that mean we can love him? No. I don't think so. Because greatness by itself is cold. It is unlovable. A hammer is powerful, but you don't love it just because it's powerful. We might submit to power because we have to, but do we love it? The Bible wonderfully says that although it is true that God alone is great, God is not only great. God alone is great, but he's not only great. One verse we didn't pick up on, verse 35 in chapter th uh, in Isaiah 37. God says, I will defend this city and save it for my sake and, oh, 
Wouldn't we think it was going to be full stop? No, for my sake and someone else's sake. For my servant, David. Do you see that? God cares for his people. God in his greatness cares for us. And in that, you see, we're not like cardboard box. We're not like a cardboard box. We matter to God. He will do something for his people's sake. We are particularly cared for and loved. Uh, we're coming uh, very close to Christmas, uh, a thought which probably gives some of us joy and others, others of us. Uh, we're a bit edgy. Luke chapter 2. Shepherds watch their flocks by night, all seated on the ground. An angel of the Lord comes down, glory sh- shines around. And what does the angel tell them? Today in the town of David, King David's town, from King David's family, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And in that we see fulfilment here. For the sake of David, my servant, God comes into the world. God himself comes. Jesus Christ, born as a baby, is great David's greatest son. And he is the fulfillment. And you see, Jesus is our connection to the God who is great. Christ the Lord. God alone is great, but this baby is God. Jesus is this great God who is far above us and, and someone we can't understand coming to earth as a baby, as a baby, a baby. God alone who is great coming in like that. Uh, the carol, Away in a Manger. Uh, I've grown to appreciate it more over the years. It's quite, um, it's quite sweet or a bit twee, depending on your perspective. It's lovely when the kids sing it. One reason I've grown to love it is it's actually very subversive. Many people know that carol, but there's just one little bit that's like dynamite, if you recognize it, if you have ears to hear. The little Lord Jesus. Lord. The Lord asleep on the hay. God alone, who is great, come down to lie in a manger. And here is why we see we can love God. Because he's not only great, he's a God who came down to earth as a baby. To step into our world, to be among us. To touch and to talk to us face to face. To associate with us, to take on our sin and our grief. To take on our defeat. And make us victors. Not by our strength, not by our zeal, but by the Lord Almighty's. The goodness of God is revealed. It's magnified by his greatness, crammed into a small human life. Christmas shows us that God is good because the great God came to earth to save us, to deliver us. So as we close, we have heard that God alone is great. And that gives us two options, prideful defeat or prayerful deliverance. God is great. The, the most important thing is that he is honored. And his greatness magnified, is magnified, uh, sorry, magnifies his goodness because at Christmas Jesus came into the world to serve us and to save us, to make good on all these promises to save his people. And in doing that, as we reflect and share and celebrate at Christmas, who is to get the glory? God. God alone is great and is good. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for showing us who you are. And we pray for help to see your greatness. We pray that it would not be a stumbling block to us when we consider your honor, but actually it would be something that enlivens us 
gives us the correct motives to live for you in this world and love each other and love our town. And we pray that you would be honored among us in this church, in this community. We pray that we would honor you by loving one another as you have taught us through Jesus. We pray this Christmas we would rejoice that the God who is alone, the great one, came into the world to save us, to deliver us. And we pray that that would not only be known by us, but many, many even for the first time this Christmas, for their good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.